I'm Ben Klunt. And I'm Stephen Brown. In 2019, we started this podcast as an accountability tool for our health and our business goals. Through our discussions, interviews, and sharing of our successes and difficulties, we've learned we have a passion for leadership. In 2020, we're striving to grow our own leadership abilities by focusing on learning from great leaders in business and life, and continue to share our successes and struggles on this journey. We'll continue to have raw and candid conversations while sharing our own insights and experiences with our goal being to grow as leaders and as people. You're You're listening listening to Ordinary to Extraordinary. We have Cindy Wendell, a local celebrity of sorts, as I'll say. Oh, gosh, no. No? No? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to make people feel uncomfortable right when they're first getting on, too. It really cracks the ice yeah. a little bit, You've too. been on TV. You're Spokane famous. Yeah, you're yeah. Sp- yeah, Spokane famous, yeah. Uh, most recently, ran for city council president. President, yeah. Yeah, but also a landlord in town. Uh, daughter of business owners and daughter-in-law of business owners and so you've got lots of exposure to leadership and business and entrepreneurialism in Spokane so we'll start off with uh, usually it's tell us a little bit about your story some of the things that you've experienced in life and then we'll jump into all of our questions that we have as well perfect so yes few of the things that have shaped who I am and yeah where you grew up people may not know about me yeah I grew up behind the scenes yeah I grew up in Pullman, just south of here, born actually in Moscow, Idaho. My parents were both U of I grads, and uh, my dad um, worked his way through college, had to pay it all on his own. His parents literally went bankrupt right before he left for college, and so he got into the car business kind of by default, uh, just selling cars and managing over in Moscow, and then um, they moved us over to Pullman when I was real little, and he bought a dealership over there. So growing up, uh, first generation, family-owned business, and all of those kitchen conversations around the kitchen table yeah. that you just think are normal, that everybody else talks about. You know, empl- you know, you don't talk about employees, but you talk about situations, right? And, and mm-hmm. how customers yeah. are buying cars and what the wheat harvest is like for farmers needing trucks and what you're gonna spend your money on and what you're not and how many people you're gonna hire. And that just was typical to me. My mom yeah. and dad worked together, so we always Which talk business. Which is also business. not typical. Right. Um, <laughs> And I don't think I knew that until I went off to college and really understood, because it's, you know, Pullman's a pretty small town, and really understood that what my upbringing was a little bit different than everybody else's. By going off to college, did you go to Pullman? I you did went not. To, so didn't. I went to UW in Ooh. Seattle. And this is where Ooh. some people look at me and go, huh? I think, well, if you spent 18 years in Pullman, wouldn't you want to go somewhere else? I love Pullman. They raised me. They were their family to me, but when I went on campus and went to a library for to do some research in high school, and the gal when I was checking a book out, and she's like, "Oh, tell your parents hi." I'm like, "Oh, this this is not going to happen. Like, I I need to get out of town." <laughs> too small, too, too small. small. Big old warning signs. But Seattle was, I mean, gosh, back in the '90s, right? Like, just amazing music scene, and I could be a nobody coming from a small town, yeah. and your name's on a sign, and 
everybody knows who you are. I just wanted to be invisible and I wanted to just meet totally different people and backgrounds and I loved Seattle. So Apple Cup, who do you root for? Huskies. Shh. But was it Chud? A yes. dog too? Yes, yeah. and he's a dog too, but he now go, roots for the kooks. So I feel like oh, that's okay. I balance. Okay. And we have one son that likes the Huskies and myself, and then we have two others. So I feel like there's a good balance. There so you go. are you sure your family still likely? So, so you flip-flopped on the Cougs and then you flip-flopped on Chevys to Fords? Oh, no, I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say well, let's just get that awkward tension out there right now. I still drive a Chevy, yes. Um, when we moved to Pullman, uh, gosh, that was like an 08, and I was driving a Ford at that time because living in Spokane, I mean, that was mm-hmm. my husband's family, right? But then I moved to Pullman. Did your family almost disown you when you were driving a Ford here? <laughs> they understood. Cause this is like, like the hey. Montagues and the Capulets type thing, is <laughs> that what it is, right? right. Yeah, going at each other. It was so. At least it wasn't a foreign car, right? It had to be oh, anti-American. You know, it has got to be American car, okay? Um, but when we pulled into Pullman, I'm like, I can't drive a Ford down here. Like this is bad. Like it's bad enough, kind of wearing purple, which I didn't do. Our son did in Pullman, but I didn't. I'm like, I, I got to get a Chevy. So, and I've kept my Chevy now. There you go. Back to Spokane. So, Husky, yeah, cheering for the Huskies and driving a Chevy type mm. of person from Pullman, Washington. There you go. With the last name Wendell. With the last name Wendell. Did we mention, we probably should put some context for people that don't live locally and listen to this. Wendell is a local Ford dealership and Cindy comes from a family that owns a Chevy dealership (laughs) down in Pullman. So yeah, never the two shall shall mix, right? This is the joke I always say. So, and I'll give more context to this. So I actually grew up next door to Cindy's would be sister-in-law, Kristen. Okay. Be your sister-in-law, right? Yeah. So the Goffs were my neighbors growing up, and so there's uh, so if I say anything random or something to know, that's the connection here. The Cindy Ben connection hmm. is through the in-laws, but her niece and nephew I used to babysit, and I remember her nephew kicking me in the face once <laughs> as a young child. He's a good little wrestler. He is a good little. Yes, wrestler. you probably deserved it though, right? Yeah, what but now say? he's not so little. Now he's no. like in college, which is scary. Isn't that weird? The I, kids you babysit, and now yeah, they're I'm in like, college. How old am like, I? I'm still only 28. I don't understand how they're in college. How did that happen? Yeah, that's so scary. Did you deserve the kick in the face? No, he was just running and flying yeah. kick across the sofa. So I actually, I know Kristen a little bit as well, and uh, we both met with the Better Business Bureau when oh, yeah. it was a previous staff member brought a group of business people in to sort of talk about what the, the Better Business Bureau could be. And I really believe in it but I don't believe in what it is now. I believe in what it can be. Mm-hmm. I think Yelp, Google, and Facebook have kind of changed the Better Business Bureau to go off on a tangent, but the Better Business Bureau is reacting instead of being proactive. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I didn't ever, you know, I haven't really thought about it in that context because mm-hmm. there's so much value for local businesses to have that branding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to keep that branding relevant, how mm-hmm. do you do that? Well, yeah, uh, so people are getting well, generational at this point, I think, mm-hmm. with the BBB. A lot of people our age don't put much value Think about interest. where people are looking for reviews now. They're looking on Facebook, they're looking yep. on Google, and they're looking on Yelp. Yeah. But the difference with the Better Business Bureau is the Better Business Bureau offers that arbitration process, and they, those don't. So once you're on Yelp, it's almost impossible to get a review off of Yelp, even if you change your mind. I don't even think... the only, In fact, the only way to take it away is for the user to go in and physically delete it. Wow. Like Yelp won't take it off. They won't take it off. But the hmm. Better Business Bureau has the arbitration process, and they just they were stuck in their ways for so long, relying on 
Better Business Bureau ratings and things like that. I think there's there's really a place for the Better Business Bureau. I just think there has to be more adaptation on their part. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what that meeting was about. And oh, Kristen was cool. a part of it. And I was invited in, luckily. And it was fun. Oh, I'm glad that you guys are working on that, too, because it is a valuable tool. Mm-hmm. And it's something I think a lot of people need, um, especially when we've got so many. We're going to talk about, I'm sure, entrepreneurship in, in a little bit. Um, but what a huge percentage of our economy is based on very, very small businesses. I mean, mm-hmm. not just small business. We're talking like 50 to 75 employees. We're talking like one to five employees, yeah, right? Self-employed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And that's a huge part of what we do. So mm-hmm. and Better Business Bureau can come in and really help advocate and help make sure that we protect that for people. Absolutely. Yeah. Good for you. So I wanted to ask, were you a reluctant politician or was it something you always wanted to do? <laughs> reluctant. Uh Stephen but, has an opinion on that, which I'm sure. Not at all. I just, it's, you know, but looking back, you know, once you decide, I honestly, I came at it from a business owner perspective because what I saw at our property mm-hmm. was aligning with some of the things I was seeing on social media, mm-hmm. some feedback I was getting from community members and just, you know, and you're sitting around having a beer, a glass of wine with people and what they're talking about. But my heart was torn because people can... Hmm. they can simplify a very complex issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's much easier to be on one side or another and not really talk about the really messy middle. And when I'm out on the property and I'm having to go back to the dumpsters and realize that people's lives, their entire life, th- their things are right there next to a dumpster. And I'm having to look at that thinking that could that's somebody's daughter, sister, mm-hmm. brother, and yet I've got this property to take care of and businesses to make sure that I'm doing the right thing for. It just became to me an issue that really needed more compassion and somebody that could come in and really be able to pull people together, but see all sides of it, right? Not just one side or another. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I wasn't thinking politics at the time. And all of a sudden one day we were talking about the races and I looked at it and I'm like, in this particular race, there doesn't seem to be a person that's in that middle space that has business experience that is talking about the heart of this and so I called a couple of friends and I said well who do you think is running I mean there's just gotta be somebody else that's running in this like who can we go support nobody and I thought oh man we need a you know it'd be great sure? to have a female sure? a business owner yeah. and then I'm like oh my gosh so I just kind of jumped in blind mm-hmm. but then going back to like my history I was really involved in um, junior achievement, not junior achievement, um, junior statesman in high school, and I was a Senate page when I was, so I think there's been seeds of interest over time that led me to be able to have the confidence to, to do that, but it wasn't like I grew up and said, I want to be a politician. Yeah. Like, yeah, I never saw myself ever running a campaign, maybe <laughs> helping a campaign, or, you know, being a staff person for somebody, but That's, never the one. What was it like to run a campaign and lead a campaign staff? Okay, the coolest part about it is it's like running a business. It is like waking up and saying, I'm going to start this business today. And the best part was understanding that it's not about you. You're not, you need a team mm-hmm. and you need to go out and find talent and understand what they're bringing to the table and assess like, okay, what needs to be done and who's the best person to do it? And how do I motivate people to get on board? So it, it was like starting a business overnight. You know, you've got your budgets, you got to put together, you got to put your business plan, your communication plan, your team, Hmm. But that 
so that is very similar to me in, in being able to correlate it to when people are entrepreneurs. It's a very entrepreneurship endeavor. I don't know that I recall a closer race. So it was under a thousand votes in the end, right? Mm-hmm. That, that split it, and you actually had the lead on the on the evening of the vote, but then stuff yes. transpired after that. It was crazy. It was um, a very crazy, crazy swing um, in votes. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. crazy. And the mayoral race actually ended up being a closer race than Seriously. ours. Yes. Oh. I did not know it was mm-hmm. that close. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, most people That's why people they did the recount or whatever again. They, they did, it. yeah. They did a, what we did was a rehab effort. And so it was because it was so close, there were votes, there were so many votes that the signatures didn't match on ballots. Oh, what the? So if you send in your ballot, and this is very typical of young adults, right? And my son was one of them, actually. Um, they're, they don't know cursive, right? And they don't, their signatures change. So it's like, okay, last year my signature was this. This year my signature looks like this. Oh, interesting. And the election department's like, well, that doesn't match. So they'll oh, send a no letter kidding. to the voter and say, your vote hasn't been counted. Your signature doesn't match. And here's a, a form to sign. And then I didn't even know they matched it. signatures. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, and so we oh, had easy. either missing signatures and or mismatched signatures and there were so many of those and because the race was so close at that had to verify time with the... we thought this could swing the this could swing the election if we mm-hmm. don't make sure all these votes get counted and of course in our democracy I mean, you want every vote to count yeah. at the end of the day i don't care who the vote's for like i want mm-hmm. your vote to count so and this was all new to me i knew nothing about this um you know it's just kind of like drinking from a fire hose okay what do we do now um, and make sure that we reach people and, and ask them if they got their letter because it's public, the list then from the elections department, it's made public who those people are, that whose votes were rejected. Oh, wow. So yeah, so it's all public information. You grab it and then you start calling them and, and trying to visit them and say, hey, we just want to make sure your vote's counted because you don't know who they voted for either. I mean, you're just talking yeah. to a voter and you just want to make sure their vote counts. When you drive by and notice their yard sign, you might figure it out. But yeah, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> that's crazy. Like, oh, I guess they're not a supporter of mine. Oh, huh? yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So but. politics is such a polarizing... It never used to be as polarizing. It used to be that you could have a friendly discussion with somebody and disagree with them and yeah. walk away mm-hmm. and see each other the next day and have a beer again. Yeah. And now it's just become this vitriolic quagmire of people just yelling at each other, right? People just like, well, you're wrong because... And I'm going to convince you you're wrong. And if you don't accept that you're wrong... I'm going to hate you and tell everybody that I hate you. And it's like so left and right. And it's like not all issues should be left and right. Some issues you're right in the middle. And it's like, what's the right thing to do? And how can we help the most people? Mm -hmm. Especially local politics. I think that's what intrigued me about this race was, A, it was nonpartisan. And in reality, nothing's really nonpartisan. Because I think we come at it ideologically from different perspectives. But when you look at what a city needs to be at its best, politics shouldn't be a part of it, really, right? Yeah. I mean, it should be you go back to that statesman, I want to work with people and I want to find the common ground. My goal in the meeting is let's figure out where we agree. And then, okay, those those little pieces where we don't agree, we'll figure those out later. But for what this for what people want in this city, which is they want to be really proud of where they live. Mm-hmm. Um, they want when visitors come to town, They want to just be able to showcase this amazing place, right, that they live and the amenities we have and the beautiful parks and our gorgeous downtown and our beautiful clean river. And then when we have businesses and we're trying to recruit people here to come and live here, look at the incredible schools we have. Look at how the neighborhoods are set up for you. Look at the ease of traffic 
and, and housing, which is a challenge. So you look at all those things and go, okay, which of those are we not achieving yet to be the best? Um, and you can't say a D or an R mm-hmm. is the right way to solve those. Yeah. It's no, got to be a conversation. I agree completely. No. So here's, here's a novel idea. Tell me what you think of this. Yeah. Oh. Whether it be presidential, whether it be mayoral, whether it be city council or whatever, I actually think that if you've got two candidates running for a position, so when you narrow it down to two, right, so the mayoral race, you should have to hire the other person as your vice mayor or your vice president. And then you force bipartisan talk, at least, right? Because without your left-hand man or left-hand lady's support, you're not going to get anything done. I think that's how you fix that. That's interesting. Really interesting. In fact, there were quite a few people that were trying to, there was an open council seat because um, the vacancy that was created when Brienne became president that reached out and most of the people that reached out were Democrats um, Mm -hmm. and said, would you please put your name in the hat for this because we feel like we really want a little bit more balance on the council. Um, The reality was that I wasn't going to be selected for that seat. So I thought, well, that's just not going to be the right thing to do right now. But I think a lot of people feel like that because yeah. um, you have one vote, but yet you're, but especially in a close race, it was pretty obvious that people were like, well, I mean, it could be either or. Yeah. yeah. And really the conversations that we both had and it became more and more about, it should be any campaign about what the people want to talk about, not mm-hmm. what the candidate wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it became more about those center issues, right? And so I think both Brian and I learned a lot about where we need to be and what we should be talking about to make sure it's. You what chatted with wants. him at all since? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we've had coffee. Cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's a novel idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. Going back to that. <laughs> Get together, have discussions. And yeah. I feel that I have. Um, I do feel that I have an ear that he will listen, um, and I do feel that there are some things that people really want to make sure are heard. A lot of people don't speak up. They feel like their vote, their vote is the only way for mm-hmm. them to have their voice heard. So if the vote doesn't go their way, then they just kind of go back into their life. And we're all busy, right? But part of what I really want to do is help stay, get people to stay engaged in local politics. When you're, in a you're still way. a uh, taxpayer in a city, too. Right? Now. So now, yeah, yeah, now he's a representative for you. Well, you touched on. <laughs> You touched on something else I had a note on, like that appointed seat that you talked about. Like, you even putting your name in the hat, it wouldn't have happened, right? And I almost feel like, hey, if you put that you're running for city, you should be running for a, a council position, and it should be noted that you want to be city council president. And if you don't get that president position, there should be a secondary ballot there that, hey, if, if this person ends up president, then that seat's open, there should be a secondary option for each Interesting. And and that way it's not an assigned seat. People are still saying, hey, if, appointed by the president. if Cindy right. becomes president, the second option here is, and it's like a, a backup, so to speak. You bring and that way, that way it's the people and it's not, it's not partisan then. Because you bring up a really good point because what is eye-opening for me is how the structure can become very politicized. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that are in office right now were never really voted in by the people. They were appointed. Yeah. And so we don't realize, because we kind of forget, right? Yeah. That over time, and that's not just even the local, we're talking even other offices around the state and the country, that people a lot of times will get into office the first time because there's been a vacancy. And political parties know that. 
So they'll almost go to create vacancies because mm -hmm. they don't want to have to put people through an election. So there's a whole... So there's that whole ugly yeah. side to politics, right? That yep. um, my eyes were open to a little bit too. I'm like, wow, there's actually a strategy behind this. It's create <laughs> open openings. So we have it so them. good here. Y'all could be dealing with Brexit. <laughs> uh, which might get reversed I heard this morning or something it no no this reversed, was the unification of Scotland oh, it's just morning. a shambles over there just now oh boy and you think Donald yeah. Trump isn't the best and most stately person try, try talking to Boris Johnson <laughs> oh. <laughs> similar you know, haircuts you bring up a good point I think so many times that we get disappointed in what we see as a negative here and yeah. we get disappointed but we forget how great we have it it's not utopian oh mm -hmm. I mean, what we should be grateful for, those things too, I think, out on the campaign trail and changing people's the mindset about not focusing so much on the, on the negative, focusing so on the positive. Most inclusive country on earth. I'll right. argue that until the day I die with anybody coming from Europe and, and seeing and, and experiencing it. It's like, look, yeah, there's still some things that we can do a lot better, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's the most inclusive, most progressive, most forward-thinking country on earth. And yeah, we're working to get better. But the, the oh, and no one's perfect. Just like no country. Focus perfect. on the negatives. It just drives me nuts. Yeah, and I think you see a lot of that when I talk to people that have lived in other countries. And there's a lot of people in the United States that haven't traveled outside, hmm. and mm -hmm. the perspective is very different when you have been around the world and you come back to have those conversations with people and what they want to focus on hmm. in communities, and then those that. So that it's a very different dynamic, and we're starting to see a lot more of that in Spokane. I feel like outdoor belling. Um, we definitely have some amazing multi-generation families that have been here that I love talking to, their history and their mm -hmm. passion for the community. And then, you know, just a couple streets over, or even a couple doors over, we're talking to people that have moved here from far, far away that are so passionate about being Spokane. I look at them and think, how did you land here? Yeah. You guilty know, as charged. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the Scottish guy get here. Absolutely guilty as charged. People think I'm crazy for living here for, that are from really? Spokane. And on a weekly basis, I get asked easily 10 times, why did you, why, why are you here? Why are you here? Like, did you have to move here? Well, no, I, I moved here and it worked out and I liked it. So I'm still here 10 years later. <laughs> and I love it. I love this community. I really do. Like Ben and I have been so involved, just not just with this, but with Spokane Young Professionals. And part of my job is to meet business owners every day. So mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. This yeah. is an amazing, thriving community. With room for growth and getting yeah, better as well, perfect, though. Uh, and the more that we can attract those mm -hmm. kinds of people, the yeah. better. Well, exactly. To your point, I think from earlier, two people who have been outside of Spokane mm -hmm. <laughs> actually traveled a little bit and have some cult. I mean, culture is probably the wrong word. Like I said, we're going to say things on here that are not PC. <laughs> that are more cultured, that have seen different, like how things happen. Yeah. Like, bring it back to Spokane. I always joke, we're becoming a big kid city now. Mm -hmm. It's like... We actually have places you want to go and have a drink. Right? And a <laughs> and, and total array is, uh, yeah. of options where it yeah. doesn't have to be a variation of the same thing. It's completely different. And you're experiencing, you know, a whole different realm. That yeah, it's not just Sherry's or Red Robin or something like that where you can only go and get food. We've got you great see, places to eat. Getting an olive garden coming back out in the valley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did too. Off air, I was like, that seems fitting actually. <laughs> Wow, so, that's staying in. So everybody, that's the, yeah. everybody from the Valley, just take a dump on him. I see how it is. <laughs> she did run for the Valley, so. No. 
So let's talk about leadership a little bit. So you obviously had a team that you led through the campaign process. And then how many employees do you guys have for North Town Square? Square, We actually contract out with a property manager. Okay, got you. So we don't hire anybody through our LLC for that, um, but work very closely with him. Um, we He's incredible. You and used to do some of it actively yeah, mm-hmm, prior to campaign. Yeah, so we ended up um, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now, um, taking back over the majority, well, we always had majority of the project, but taking over the daily operations of it. And um, Chad and I both kind of looked at each other and he's like, hey, I don't have the capacity in my, my life right now to do this. He said, you taught, you, know, you taught yourself banking on the fly. How about commercial real estate? I was like, okay, why not? I wasn't in banking at the time. I was back home. and. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll try this and reached out to a local company to help me that is um, a well-established, large commercial property management company. And they were fantastic because I said, hey, I'm going to probably be pretty annoying, but I want to learn this. Do you mind taking on a pretty mm-hmm. active owner and teaching me the ropes? And they were fantastic and did. And because of their structure and I think of because of how much I, I learned and wanted to be involved, it didn't seem to fit after about a year of that. Like that probably wasn't going to be the best fit. So. I actually went in and thought, okay, how do I open my own property management company knowing I still can't do this? I don't have the full skill set to do this large of a project by myself. Mm -hmm. And that's when I reached out to Jim and had him jump on board. And we ended up um, coming up with an agreement where we, it's kind of unique in property management, but we split it basically and figured out what you're good at. Here's what you do. Here's what you do. Um, and take over those duties together and become a team. And so we had kind of like two separate property management companies managing it. And then I started the campaign. Yeah. (laughs) And I called him probably besides Judd, it was Jim. And I said, hey, I think I'm going to do this. But if you can't take on this project full time, I understand. And I, I, I won't. I'll do something different. And even before I stopped talking, he's like, are you kidding? You could, you'd be great at it. Go for it. Nope, I got it. <laughs> and so Jim was your partner in the property management yeah. of Northtown Square. So he does it still to this day, full time. I'm not popping back in to do any of the part time. I, I manage the asset financially, and then I'm a partner with his is um, with him on lease negotiations and anything bigger. But anything daily operations wise, he just handles and just gives me a kind of a yeah. so follow up. Talk a little bit about. I know you kind of knowing your banking background that you kind of just said. I think I'm going to take a leadership position at a bank. <laughs> like, just decided to go and do that. Which I'm like, how did that even happen? For one, but move, so moved to Pullman, mm-hmm. knew some of the Watt Trust people from Spokane. Yes. Although you take it from there and decided I'm going to open the Watt Trust Bank. <laughs> it's kind of like you're going to run for council president and not just a council position. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah I like to bite off big. Yeah, you like big to chunks. go to the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I um, skip all these little steps. Let's just get to the brass tacks of it. Yeah, yeah it's you know I think when when you have a heart that you really want to serve people, it it just opens different doors where you think you should fit. And I never want to go after a job that isn't something a, that I think I'd be um, good at that would fit my skill set. But it's again, like looking at the political race, it's like, okay, what is needed? What are the people looking for that instance? I was a stay at home mom. I was doing some direct sales, but I, I had no business applying to be a branch manager at a bank. (laughs) I mean, zero (laughs) business doing that. Um, but strategically, I was looking at it like, okay, well, this is a whole new market for Washington Trust. Um, I grew up in Pullman and had a family business, so I knew a lot of the people in town. Mm-hmm. They're going to need somebody that knows people down here. 
Um, and then you look at what Pullman needs and those people. They, uh, Bank of Whitman had closed and that was a huge bank for everybody. It was community based, people felt like it was family for them and they felt taken care of. So from a banking perspective, which we all, I mean, everybody has different experiences with banking, but you need to feel taken care of. You need to feel like you can trust who you're working with. And so I felt that I could advocate for Pullman um, and I could do that well with Washington Trust. Now, you know, the whole logistics of managing a branch and hiring people, that, that was, you know, something that was gonna be a huge challenge. So I was like, why not? You know, I don't wanna live with regrets and I'll try it and see what they say. And the bank was incredibly, I guess, kind, but I, I do think they understood the strategic vision of that. In fact, I just talked to somebody the other day at the bank and we were talking about Pullman and how it is still to this day, and they've opened some other markets and branches, it is still to this day their beacon of how you open a market. Mm -hmm. um, cool. It is That's their sweet. playbook still. And so I'm really proud of the team down there for continuing that legacy and um, they've been it's an incredible branch so when you're talking about team and leadership what are some of the things along the way of launching so you were new to, to, to leading people really at that point right because yeah. prior to that you were raising the family so you were the ceo of the household right but three, now three boys oh, boy, babe. <laughs> i'm sorry yeah. All right. <laughs> and but then i mean you obviously had it uh your father and mother as the examples down there too and, and you know just I'm sure even some stories from Chud and his family yeah. as well but then jumping into actually leading people is a whole different ball game too now you get to experience it versus just have the osmosis of it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which, huge learning curve so where were some times that you had you know fell on your face had egg on your face oh. you're like oh that was a good learning experience I'm gonna never do that again right I think I think a lot of us could probably look back and go we thought we knew, but we didn't know. Yeah. And when you get a little egotistical about what you're doing, or you think, you know, I got this, is when it usually comes and slaps <laughs> you right in the face. Um, and I think it's, yeah, not a good way sometimes, especially when you're trying to identify, work with a team, and you know they're good. You hire them for their heart, you hire them yeah, for things character. that, exactly yeah. those soft skills. And sometimes it's the technical skills that you have to help manage you know you have to help them get them get um understanding how different people work and how they learn that was my huge learning curve because i just assume that everybody learns like you do mm. and if i just you know keep hounding them on this or if i keep giving them goals or if i do this they'll they'll achieve what i need them to achieve and <laughs> that is not the case uh nope. you really have to to check yourself and put yourself in their shoes about what success looks like to them. Mm -hmm. and, and for them, what is gonna bring value to their day and why they come to work. And so, you know, going back to how passionate I am about Washington Trust, but they have people there that are brilliant in coaching others to be better leaders and to be better managers without them. I mean, when I look at how the success of Pullman, it is an entire bank team that came together and said, okay, well, Cindy's good at this and she's realizing she's not good here. How are we going to, and I'm reaching out, like, how am I going to help supplement this for myself and what the team needs? So it's all of that constant reevaluation of, okay, what are we doing well at and what are we falling short? Um, but for me, it was getting people that knew how to manage Well, and that people. takes some ego check too, right there. Oh, totally. I mean, it's like, yeah, I got to get out of my own way to be able to go and do some of that hiring. Yep. Yeah, I had team members that were looking at me going, what are you doing? And, and 
and, and thinking that I was failing and I thought I was failing. And, but then over time, you look back and go, wow, this, it worked out really well. You know, to, to stick with somebody and to be loyal to somebody. And, and I did have someone say, you know, you can't really say that you fully manage someone until you can put a mirror up and say, have I done absolutely everything I can for this person to help them succeed? If you can look in the mirror and say that, okay, then maybe it's time for, for, to part ways. But until you can really say, did you do absolutely everything that you could do to help them succeed, you yeah. still have work to do. Well, I love that they did that with you. I had zero experience the credit card processing. Yeah. I had sales experience, but I'd never sold the product that I'll, five years later I'm an expert in. So I think soft skills are often overlooked for mm-hmm. degrees and mm-hmm. experience. And if you're just willing to take a chance on somebody and have that vision that they can grow into it and you know they've got those soft skills, I think that's, well, that's the way to do it. We finance all the time, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. like you can be incredibly intelligent when it comes to investments and to value a company but at the end of the day a lot of these people don't have any assets to manage because they have no people skills mm-hmm. right so it's like they're incredibly intelligent but no money to manage it's like no you have to have really good people skills and be able to go out there and make friends too and like those seem to be the people who are the most successful right huh. and then you actually get the opportunity to help somebody and use the skill set on the back end that you should have that you be proficient have. in yeah and be so genuinely concerned and curious about people. Mm-hmm. I think that is what is a, a huge component of some of the best leaders is that they really care deeply about the people that they're with and they're so curious to know more. Yeah, yeah. a and genuine they, love and interest for yeah. the people. I learned that from my dad and you mentioned, you know, watching your parents work and I thought about who is the one leader that I think about the most when I'm either mm-hmm. subconsciously or even consciously trying to, to reevaluate what I'm doing. And when I'm in tough situations, I go back to him so Mm -hmm. many times in these interactions. And I lost him when I was only 22, so I didn't Mm -hmm. have a whole lot of time to learn from him. Um, But those, the few times I did in the situations, he was a pretty unique leader and he was a very, um, very caring, very loyal, but you know, he had high expectations of people, but they rose to them in a way that very few people can get Great leaders aren't just easy people. No. Yeah. Sometimes they're a royal pain in the butt. (laughs) True. (laughs) So this is kind of a, it might be a personal question and you don't have to answer if you'd rather not, but you guys are obviously invested in some real estate right there, North Mm -hmm. Town Square. How do you feel about the migration from brick and mortar business to online business? Obviously you saw one huge tenant leave. Is that a concern and what are your sort of contingencies there for moving forward? I'm actually really glad you asked that. I do quite a bit of research on that because I'm interested in it from a mm-hmm. consumer perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have some businesses, when we talk about national tenants, larger businesses, uh, what's so imperative to them is that they are successful in the omni-channel space. Yeah. So they have not just one thing they're good at, they're good at it all. They're good at the face-to-face customer interaction. They're good at having an experience in their brick and mortar store. They're really good at the experience you have online. They ship quickly. They follow through. I mean, all those things. Um, And so it's gonna be the challenge. What's fascinating though about that model is if you don't have a piece of that, so what we've seen is some national retailers will close a brick and mortar store thinking, our our online presence has gotten huge. Like, we're good, we're golden. Mm -hmm. We don't have to pay rent anymore. Let's just close our stores it hurts them drastically. And you'll see that with some national, um, with tenants, and they'll actually try and They'll lose the brand awareness. They lose the brand awareness. Mm -hmm. And one of the pieces I talked a little bit about when we talk about parking 
and access to retail, um, I try and bring that into the conversation when we talk about parking and the structure of our downtown and all that is what is probably one of the fastest growing pieces right now of, um, of online and retail is the buy online purchase in store. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times people will still want to ship it to the store. They need easy access transportation wise to get in there and get it. Now the retailer loves that because that's an additional opportunity to sell product. Mm-hmm. And so that has been a unique focus for a lot of people. And so when you have an open air center like ours, which I consider ours open air, I have an advantage there because I have easy access for people to come in and park and pop into a store. Yep. So for me, and in fact, I was just reading an article about um, the open air centers are becoming, so you're starting to see tenants from closed malls start to look at open air centers oh, interesting. because they have a better visibility from the street and they have better access for parking because then they can have people zip in, grab their product, maybe one or two other things and zip out, do a quick return. Mm-hmm. So I don't see retail dying. I see retail as having a monumental shift that we probably have never seen before, so we panic and think it's dying. Um, we panic when we have to lose leases and we lose money yeah. for a year and a half or two years and have an empty space, but it's part of helping shepherd yeah. in a better time for retail. And the landlords have to be partners in that and be patient because if we just throw in stuff that doesn't make sense just to make money, then for a community-wide, it's not the right thing to do. And so that's what's really hard, too, is I love being a local landlord because I sit and think about what's best for Spokane, not just me. Um, and, and you see a lot of properties are owned by real estate investment trusts, mm-hmm. and they're owned by outside entities. They manage properties very different, just much like you know somebody that owns a home here in Spokane that doesn't live here. Yeah. How they rent it out, how they yeah. take care of it is very different than somebody that Well, it's more dollars and cents, right? There's right. no emotion type to it. Yeah. But from an investment standpoint... The investment guy over here is going to be like, well, yeah, it should be all dollars and cents, right? right? Like, and to some degree, yes, but I get what you're saying with the whole local aspect, too. Yeah. I mean, it's like you got to drive by it and see the condition. I mean, of I just it. put some money into painting it this last, you know, we did this last summer when a lot of people are like, why are you painting a building when you have empty space? That doesn't make any sense. You're spending money when you're probably not getting a whole lot of income. Mm-hmm. But that property is so important to me that that looks good for Spokane. Well, it's you only have one empty space, right? Two now. Two? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're working hard. Good. It's really cool that you mentioned the omni-channel presence, and it's something that's been a major focus of my company as well, that we want to be in the, we want to be everything, right? We want to be in the, the online space. We want to be in the brick-and-mortar space. We want to be in between the... Wherever there's a card. We want to be able to have people go remote if they need to, you know? You know, mobile payments and all of that stuff, and it's good that you guys are aware of that because I think there's a lot of people right now that own real estate scratching their heads wondering why they have 80,000 square feet of I mean the malls are they're oh. wondering how they can get back in the game right people are vacating malls well, I you walk, walk around Northtown Mall right across the street from you guys and it's yeah. like mm. half of it seems empty yeah. it's a ghost town yeah, it it's is crazy going to take you know I look at that space every day and I think if I had all the money, you know, if I could do whatever I wanted to with that space, what would we do? And you just want so badly. And of course, it's owned by a national corporation yeah. that has mm-hmm. no skin in the game in Spokane. Brookfield, right? right? Brookfield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But don't they also own the Valley Mall, too? They do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you think about, and I read what's happening at some of the large malls in other communities, and it gets me really excited because we know that Spokane lags sometimes oh, yeah. with what we see in other communities, mm-hmm. right? Some of these larger malls, and this is no promise whatsoever, I have no idea if Brookfield's doing this or whatnot, 
but you look in and they have to come in. You're, you're almost forced financially, but if this is gonna make you bleed money, you're gonna have to look at it differently. Can we do something different? I mean, we've got a housing shortage here in Spokane. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, wow. Could we get housing right there. there somehow? Could we do something there with that space and partner with Brookfield? And I think they're, you know, some of these communities are finding ways mm -hmm. to, do, to use that space. But I, I look at that and I just think, oh, we need it. Our people need it yeah. for something different. Not completely, because mm -hmm. I think there's still some retail involved. Um, but yeah, we have to look at some of those things in a whole different light. Interesting. Thinking outside of the box. Right? Yeah. So fun. So I got asked so. this question yesterday. And I thought, I have to start asking people on the podcast this. And oh. I haven't asked it to Ben either. Uh oh. But you can go to high school and college and add an essential curriculum item. What would it be? If you could add something to every high school curriculum, what would you want to teach people? Financial literacy. That's what I was going to say too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Ben and I are going to say the same thing. Yeah. But I think it's, and it's not just, um, you know, how to, how to put together a budget and how to, you know, not, not, not the, the accounting side of it. It's the, real, the reality side of it. And it is, you know, how do you make a decision between A and B? And how do you help people understand for the long term the impact of what your life is gonna like, look like when you're 50 years old, if when you're 20 and you have your first job or 22, if you don't open your IRA, or mm -hmm. if you don't start investing in yourself and your retirement at that age, if you even wait five years, mm -hmm. what that does to the quality of your life and the flexibility of the decisions you can make when you're 55, I feel like going full like Southern Bad. Preach it, yeah. yeah. Go, 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 go. But so it's, just, um, just go Dave Amen. Ramsey from, start, from right? the start. Yeah. I had a conversation with our, yeah, our son the other day, and I'm like, do you realize what the cost of your existence is right now? Like, do you yes, even seriously. realize what? Mm -hmm. Because we try and talk to them. If you were to quit school today and we cut you off, Good how luck, much kid. would you have to go make to cover your basic expenses? And the way some of these kids are living and the choices that they're making, that for a kid that's only 19 or 20 years old, they can be living a lifestyle that's over $30,000 that you're like, you can't afford that. There's no way you can afford that. And so the reality of how much things cost now, mm -hmm. I think people, you know, students in high school and college need to understand. Well, I think social media has played into that somewhat. We talked about this before too. It's right. They play the comparison game. It's like, well, mm -hmm. this kid's parents make a million dollars a year, and he's driving a BMW, so I should be able to at least drive a $20,000 Honda Civic. Yeah, or I can like, go out to heck? dinner every night. Why can't I go to the yeah. bars Friday mm -hmm. and Saturday night, and, oh, at least once a week, you know, and yeah. go out to lunch All I'm doing is going out and eating. It's nothing great. It's like you, you've never cooked a meal inside your house probably ever. Yeah, Apart I mean, our, our yeah. grandparents, the way they, the simplicity of life, and, and that is what I think we could go back to and teach well, some kids is, hey, you could choose this or this. That alone cell costs. <laughs> I know. I say it's like, so you have a cell phone, a family plan. Years ago, we didn't have $200 a month. A month charges. Charges, mm -hmm. right? And now yeah. your kids have to have them all too. So there's 300 You didn't need two cars. Another 500 for a car payment. No wonder why we have to have dual income households at this day and age. Truly. I think financial literacy is a good one. I've heard all kinds of answers what did you to say? it. Well. Yeah, what would you? I don't know because I haven't answered it myself. But I was asked it and I was like, I gave the answer. I don't know. I think finances would be one thing. I think knowing the, the power of compounding and saying, hey, and even if it's just a little bit, to your yeah, point, getting something interest. in the Roth IRAs and, you know, having a savings account is important mm -hmm. with an emergency fund. I think I would probably force some 
to live without phones a little bit now that we've talked about that. Yeah. Like, can you can you talk about the power of relationships? Interpersonal skills. Professional yeah. and interpersonal, because I think that's something we're losing. I mean, we've got a private school here in town that the kids have to have an iPad, and that's how they take their notes and do all their assignments. And, and it's like, so you're putting them in a screen instead of, you talked about your kid not being able to write cursive. Right. I and mean, that's, that's insane to me. Oh, I know. Insane. There's, there's lots of things that I think need to be taught in school, like how to file a tax return and yeah. um, yes. why you file a tax return. You know, how many, how many parents have this conversation when their kids take their first paycheck home and they're like, why is that much getting taken out? If I earned that much, why am I only Taxes getting this much? Taxes suck. <laughs> and, then, and then you add, our son works um, and yeah, it was so for funny. union. He had union dues come out of his paycheck oh, too. Yeah. He's like, what is this? <laughs> I only got half of my check. What the heck, man? Well, you see, back in the day, they were there to make sure that people weren't exploited. Now, not so much. Yeah. Sorry. No, we, we were trying to stay go political, right? Argument? Really? No. Oh, great. Unions served a purpose back in the day. I think now they've gotten to the point where they're politicized and they're just about making money. They have to justify their fees. It's a, it's a very, that's the value piece. We talk mm-hmm. about Better Business Bureau and the value. That is a conversation I think that is really happening with a lot of the unions right now mm-hmm. is where's the value. And our son, same thing. And I said, well, what tell me. What did your son do? He was in grocery. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, I said, well, where's, tell me what you're learning from the union about what the value is to this. Because there could be, you know, let's build in some. To him, it didn't seem like a lot because it was such a huge percentage of his paycheck mm-hmm. was taken out. But there were some scholarships available, some training available, mm-hmm. and, and so there's some things in there. But again, I think for the for somebody, they need to make sure that they feel like it's a good value for what they're getting That's and what funny. they're paying for. <laughs> well, the hard the hard part with that, the financial literacy side, is it. I always say it's like it's the blind leading the blind a lot of the time because a lot of the time, just the average citizen has no idea. I mean, they couldn't explain compound interest or or how waiting ten years really makes that massive of a difference to their plan, mm-hmm. which is why you see so many fifty year olds trying to play catch up and put. A massive amounts of money at the end right when they're trying to retire to get like oh my gosh i'm not on track i've got five to ten years to make this happen like yeah i've got to save astronomical amount of money just to even be in the ball game right, right. and live on so much less than they actually can and i mean that's the majority of people in reality yeah it's like oh man all these young people i tell people it's like man if we could just get you to financial independence by 50 yeah. then you can decide well, this like what is what you want to do with your life. This is where the disruption part comes in, right? And I know you've disagreed with me, but I think apps like Robinhood and Uber and did they come in and they take these old established ways of doing things and just blow them up? So Robinhood, like the fact that people can now listen to earnings calls, they can see what stock does, they can trade on options, they can they can do all this thing these things on their phone. So we vilify these, mm-hmm. but they're great as well. And people are learning in a way that they've never been able to learn before because, and I'm going to take a huge dump on your industry, for <laughs> years and years, y'all made it seem really difficult to buy and sell funds. Yeah, Y'all agreed. basically made it seem like you had to have an access, expert. That was it. Yeah. Barriers, access right? was through the, the stockbroker. It used to be difficult to own a taxi in Las Vegas until Uber were allowed to be there. Now their medallion prices went from $1.2 million to See, I'm, not, I'm actually not going to disagree with you. So... I thought you would because I know Why that would I disagree? You, that, don't, you know you, what my value proposition is and yeah. it's not access. But what you don't like is that people can go on there and lose a lot of money as well. But I think that's how you learn sometimes. I'm fine with people going on there and doing education because I think to your point, tech allows access, right? Mm-hmm. So it's taken away that whole thing where the advise, I think it's forced advisors to have to get better. 
Yeah, they have to. Their jobs, they have right? to earn their like, trust. Because your value isn't just, oh, I can go buy you a stock anymore. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it's something a lot more than that. I mean, you're talking about financial planning now. And I mean, I tell people some 90 some odd percent of your return is going to come from really the actions that you do, right? I mean, there was two studies that were put out, both uh, BlackRock and Vanguard did them. And it was on the alpha, basically, that working with an advisor mm-hmm. gives you. And it was like 3 to 4% outperformance over just a passive portfolio. A good advisor. Yeah, good advisor. <laughs> this, this was the law of averages. Yeah. Right? And it wasn't because they outperformed the index. It was because they helped you stay invested when you would have otherwise jumped out. I always joke people, it's like, our job is to keep you from committing financial suicide. Jumping off that metaphorical financial cliff. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, it's not access anymore. Yeah. Well, I but just no, love it. No, it is. I love the disruption, actually. Yeah, it's great. I mean, E-Trade started it, right, with their little baby commercials, and then they're like, hey, we're yeah. not, not going to charge you to, for every trade. And people are like, what? Edward Jones, That's Charles Schwab, thing. they all crapped themselves and had to adapt. I hope that. I love it. <laughs> it's interesting you talk about that because we were talking about how we need to teach financial literacy, right? We feel, feel like there's a gap. And then I think about it, I'm like, wow, okay, now that we're talking about this, our 20-year-old has been trading now for over a year on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, our 14-year-old is there's an app and I'm trying to remember the name of it where it rounds up your debit cards acorn acorns yep and he's all into that now and I think you know what it's more or less taking what again when you talk about leading people and figuring out okay what 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 is success to them you know what helps them feel good about what they're doing Mm -hmm. now it's like okay these tools we just need to match that to what we hope that they learn and and can protect in their assets right Mm -hmm. and use them for fun this acorn, I mean, that could be a I think a, a game changer. Yeah. In like we talk about compounding, he's starting at 14 years old. Yeah. yeah. And I just crack up. I'm like, I don't use a debit card very much because as older people tend to use credit cards, pay them off. Hopefully, that's what we do, right? We pay it off yeah. at the end of the month. Yeah. We use it the for pay our, it off part. That's the important part. Pay yeah. off and use the airline miles. But for young people, especially when I was in banking, learning how they use their money mm-hmm. is what's important, and being able to tailor a plan that helps them with how they use money um, mm-hmm. and so many you know the debit card is which is good because it's cash basically right and it's not like they're using credit and mm-hmm. overextending themselves they're they're using their debit cards and that's cash in their in their account that they have to use and manage yeah i love those checking accounts i i do it on mine as well where every time i use it it rounds up to the next dollar and that goes into savings mm-hmm. and it's like 80 bucks a month usually that goes in there just wow. from rounding up steven spends a lot of money on random stuff <laughs> wow. We all do. On Nike, actually. It's not even random. It's Nike. It's not it's always Nike. Nike. I haven't spent much on Nike lately. No? You haven't gone to the outlet store in a while, I guess. No. Oh, yeah. He's, he's got a Nike problem. Ask him how many pairs of shoes he has. Oh, that's our son. Really? Sons. Like, shoes are huge for guys. Like, they sell them online and yeah. buy them. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> They're arbitraging shoes. But are they, are they, they specific to a brand or are they... Nike. Okay, good. Oh, yeah. So they're not walking around in Adidas Yeezys? No, no. Oh. Uh, it's, you know, our son even, he got a pair of Nikes for his birthday and they weren't the right color. I'd gotten the wrong ones. Surprise, surprise, right? For a girl, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and so but what was hilarious is I hadn't returned them yet and he said, oh, let me see what I can sell these for online. 
So there's a whole second market. StockX. Yes, that was yeah. it. Stock. To Nike shoes. I've never bought enough StockX. Uh, did I he make on money it on it too and then you had to go buy another pair of shoes it's too? It's like an auction thing. He's looking at the price range of it. He's like, I think it'll be best you just take it back to Nike and get your money back for it. Yeah. So it's funny. Them and a couple of other websites had to suspend the sales of uh, Kobe Bryant shoes oh. because people were buying them and on the secondary market. So Nike sold oh, out wow. of Kobe Bryant's gear t-shirts hoodies everything. shoes everything after the accident and um the secondary market people were charging 2500 bucks for a pair of kobe shoes That's which crazy. some early air force ones and jordans will go for that much and if mm-hmm. they're in pristine condition and people were just taking advantage of it and making money off of it and so a bunch of sites all got together and east bay weren't selling them Foot Locker and East Bay are the same. They're owned by the same. Nike basically were sold out, so they're like, yeah, we're done. But now they're all... Anything that's been sold on behalf of Kobe is going to foundations and things like that that were that's set cool. up for the that families. Cool. But yeah, StockX were one that were like, yeah, we're not going to let people profit off of this in this way. So they, they suspended it. That is where you look and see, okay, you've got a very capitalistic market, correct? Yeah. Right? That fundamentally should be taking advantage of that, right? Mm-hmm. But yet you've got a, a country... And the heart of our country realizes that that's not the right thing to do. That's wrong. And how we can be able to, I mean, I take that as a perfect example of ideologically, there's one thing, but then you take the heart of what's really the right thing to do and you blend it together and you work together, right? Mm -hmm. It took a phone call from one CEO to another or somebody to have to say, I don't think this is the right thing to do and kind of putting some pressure on people to say, step up and join us. Well, there were a bunch of sharks that made a ton of money even from 9-11. Like when yeah. when that happened, there was some hedge funds, and I think they got punished for it afterwards. But even recently in Seattle, there was the uh, shooting downtown, mm-hmm. and then Uber surge prices. It went Uber shot up because everyone was trying to get out of downtown Seattle, and they were charging like five hundred bucks or something stupid these oh Uber but to get people out. And and then Uber obviously got a little backlash for it and went and reimbursed everybody's. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would yeah. hope so. It's like yeah. The, I mean, these drivers can go on there and put 500 times surge, and you're like, oh, my $5 ride is a yeah. lot more. So we go way off on tangents, as you've just yeah, you figured the last 10, 10 yeah, minutes. Um, <laughs> what's next? What's next for what's you? My next do question? you see, ah. sorry, oh. we do this, I steal stuff from steal the all the time. Yeah. Um, or we like set it up for the next <laughs> Do you see another run for office of any kind or are you going to stick to the business world or what's next? A lot of people have asked that and honestly, I tell them I didn't get into the race for politics. Um, I don't say that I wouldn't do it again because honestly, never know. I loved running for office. It was God, You're a weird person. I know, there. right? And people are like, well, then you should because you liked it. Very few people like it. But I loved getting to know people. I loved asking the questions out, doorbelling. Mm. You know, I, it wasn't like, hey, I'm Cindy Wendell, vote for me. It was, you know, I was so grateful that people would a, answer the door. And, and I would ask and introduce myself first, but then say, can you tell me what is most important to you about Spokane? And it was just the conversations that I had. Mm-hmm. And so I think about, okay, I'm not going to say no to politics because I love being able to represent what people want and need. And I love mm-hmm. hearing their stories. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm the kind of person that can take very opposing views of something and find that middle ground and be able to figure out. I love that challenge of figuring out what's going to be the right thing that's going to help everybody achieve what they want. 
But it would just have to be the right race. It, I mean, I don't want to jump in a race and say, hey, I want to be a politician. <laughs> just for the sake of being a politician. Right, that's not the right thing for the community. It's like, okay, if the community is looking for somebody like me to, to be their representative and to lead them, then I'm all in. Mm -hmm. um, but it would have to be the right race at the right time. Um, so we'll see. <laughs> so as far as the entrepreneurial side goes, though, I mean, so you've kind of handed off most of the commercial. Do you want to get more into the commercial again, or do you want to open up another business? I know you and Chud both have, or have, I know you both have ideas twirling we love around business, in your head. Right? Toyota dealership. Yeah, bunch of, yeah that? Car dealership, right? Going back <laughs> yeah, to the car dealership. Um, yeah. I, well, I was like, I know Chud. I, mean, <laughs> right? I know some of his hopes and dreams. Our son does, you know, own some Tesla stock, full disclosure. But uh, yeah, it's like, well. Um, it's doing well just now. I know, right? Crazy. But, I cannot uh, comment on this. At this, time. <laughs> <laughs> this is not. Yeah, what do they say? You're just what's itching to, aren't you? Yeah. You're just like, I want to talk about it, but I can't. I, I can't, cannot I can't. talk about this on a recorded. Uh, yeah. I giggle because I'm like, okay, what are the things that will give you probably the, the most gray hairs in the shortest amount of time, which is running for office and run and then managing Buying retail commercial stock, real estate yeah. right now? Mm -hmm. um, I I found that I I think the economic development space for this community is fascinating. And the great things that have started happening here, but some other things I think that are still needing to be done. And some of the bigger strategic, big level conversations that we have to have about what it looks like for us and our future and what, it, you know, what our economy really should be and what we need to do for it. Um, I'm so passionate about housing has to be a conversation in that. Um, and so we have to talk about those pieces. Um, what our downtown, what that's all gonna look like. So hopefully staying involved in those conversations in some mm -hmm. way is going to be part of my future too. Cool. I like it. So yeah. without incriminating anybody or yourself, oh boy, this whole, dun, dun, dun. I should never start a sentence I know, without you. You always I? do that. Um, <laughs> you uh -oh. talked about housing being mm -hmm. important. And right now we've got so many people that are like not in my backyard. I walk my dog there, kind of totally mentality, right? right? There was a development up there on is it, 29th, on 29th old, yeah, that literally people were complaining because that's where they walk their dog, and we don't want that in on, traffic. On, on private property, there's going to be yeah. extra cars, and right. it's like, well, that's generally what happens when you build houses. But obviously the infrastructure's been looked at, and they put it. I mean, it's on hold just now, right? Like it's basically been knocked back. It well, it will, it will, it is going to move forward. That well, I hope so. One. Mm -hmm, but. Mm -hmm. What, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about the whole not in my backyard mentality? Because housing is important and development is important. And I think micro communities are important. What we did in Kendall totally. Yards, yeah. what we have going Perry's on in Perry, true. where I live, cool. you know, that's Even Garland cool. At this point. Yes. Yeah, with Garland. infill. I mean, yep. the, the passage of the infill mm -hmm. and being able to build up right on the street. But then obviously the downtown core is important as well. So how do we change that thinking how do we get rid of that old guard or not not get rid of them i mean that sounds kind of nasty but what do we do to pacify them and say hey we we need this development we need this investment and this growth in these areas what, what do we do i think that the most important part is to understand that you know just like in anything else it's about relationships so uh, we've had some start and stops that have happened in this community with some developments over mm -hmm. time that are frustrating for people and i, I go back to leadership you have to have good leaders that care and are curious and that want to learn about what people's concerns are first and foremost. You have to go into those neighborhoods and spend time and understand what they need. Every neighborhood's going to be a NIMBY, right? It, it's, change is hard. Um, they don't understand it. 
And so when we look at implementing anything strategic in our businesses and our family life, it's all about you know putting yourself in someone else's shoes, figuring out what, what the negatives are to it, but understanding what the positives are and then sharing. I'm a big data person. Mm. So to me, it's I, I have to be able to share and communicate mm -hmm. what this looks like and give them a vision of what this could be like. But it has to be a win-win. And that kind of sounds fluffy, but you have to figure out, it's like managing people, right? Like how, what's gonna be successful for them in their day? Okay, if somebody's in a neighborhood where we feel strategically as a city and we look at it that, okay, we need to change some zoning, that's gonna be part of how we're gonna help mm -hmm. achieve our housing and what we need. If we start changing some zoning, and they're uh, upset about their property values, um, or they're upset about the traffic that's gonna be around their home now or whatnot, how can we address some of those things and take their input and really not just dismiss it, but in, include it in what we do and come up with some creative ideas. Yeah. And so um, I think that that's, we need to utilize our neighborhoods and the people in our neighborhoods and not have this be like, oh, the high level you know, big wigs are making decisions. It's gotta be go into the neighborhood, spend time. Boots on the ground. Yeah. Exactly, learn what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, but be able to, to have a vision for them. If you don't come with a vision, then they're not gonna understand where you're coming from either. Mm -hmm. So we mm -hmm. have to be able to have a vision. All right, so we're, we're getting on in time. Do you need to be anywhere or can I ask no. one more question? Steven will yeah. keep asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is super Spokane specific. Okay. And oh. something that I know you're passionate about because I saw you post on the Facebook about it. Uh oh. So I was part of an ownership group that had a semi-professional soccer team here oh, in Spokane I back in the day. Oh, we're gonna talk soccer. And Wendell were a major corporate sponsor of that. So do you remember the uh, Spokane Shine? The P Spokane what now? Shine. S H I N E. I so growing up in Pullman, but I I mm -hmm. know about it. Yes. So well, this was 2010 to 2013. Okay. So I was involved in the ownership group there. I actually walked away from my equity and just said, "Hey, you guys redistribute that however you want." Politics and soccer is awful. So oh. obviously, I'm excited about the USL being interested in Spokane. What I'm not excited about, and this is my background, I used to make a living from soccer. Um, I'm not excited about how that looks sitting around a table with this current soccer leadership. Mm -hmm. So, I'm you don't have to go into details, but I'm guessing you know more about the USL stuff than I do at this point in terms of them being interested here. Do you know, are they looking at starting a franchise or are they looking at working with someone that's already in town? And then you've got the advisory vote, which obviously wanted to put the stadium up north, but I don't know that people knew what they were voting on. Not that they weren't educated, just that it wasn't put right. out there. I think you've got, you're gonna have the sportplex, you've got the arena, an outdoor facility downtown would be the best thing, in my opinion, for economic growth, development, and, and structure, just having everything close by. Talk about that. Yeah. I just threw everything at you. Sorry. I love it, right? <laughs> I was asked to be a part of this project just late last week. And so I am still in my very quick learning curve uh, about uh, meet with USL tomorrow. So mm -hmm. some of those questions I don't have answers to yet. Um, I get where you're coming from. Uh, I've been involved on the club soccer side in this Which one? town, Washington East. Okay, cool. So Chad while. Brown's a good friend so, of mine. Uh, I adore Chad. And so I've seen a little bit of that, the politics side of it, mm. enough to know that you have to understand it and, and not be, I think, naive that it plays a part of mm -hmm. what the future looks like for Spokane. I, I'm so passionate about the multiplier effect. Somebody and I were talking about that the other day with, with what the stadium could do there. If it's um, multi-purpose, yeah. Yes, if it's multi-purpose and it's, 
you know, but there's so much more than the sports aspect of it and even the soccer side, right? I mean, I think this has gotten a buzz because USL is coming to town and, and they're interested. But you look at the opportunity, I mean, even rugby. I mean, there's a, a semi-professional rugby team that's looking at Spokane potentially and lacrosse and, you know, baseball, football, what you could do there. Outdoors, you know, concerts. Yep. There's a whole art scene that you could incorporate yeah. into an outdoor stadium Absolutely. too. It's kind of like what Joe Alby is out north, you know, that's dying at this point but it's beyond repair now that's I mean that's and again you, you look at this advisory vote I if anybody respects what the voter wants it's me and going through a process and so what I look at that and think did we really know what the possibilities were and one thing I think that is I'm really sad about is because we utilize Dwight Merkel for soccer every once mm-hmm. in a while we're up there and how much more Dwight could be what a better accessible park what it could do for the economic, uh, the potential for revenue for the city mm-hmm. and tournaments and the economic impact that could be if you utilize Dwight in a different way than Joe Alvey. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of scary for some people to think about, but it's really exciting for the recreational side of sports in our community and kids and their access. Mm-hmm. How many more kids could be involved in sports if we had that out there? Exactly. Uh, so that's another thing to look at too. But. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to learn about this project and move forward. She's still with got it. her hands in things. It sounds like I've had some people yeah. reach out to me about it, and that's why I asked. So, like I said, my whole background is soccer, been involved in a lot of different places. Um, well, we'll have to talk a little bit more. Cause yeah, we'll do it off air, though. I think, I think the, <laughs> the politics side, how you combat that is you talk to people and you bring people in that uh-huh. aren't part of the politics side anymore. Yeah. Right? You, you have to have everybody. But, let them be a part of it. Nobody's got a dog in a fight. Yeah. Right? But bring new people in. And so it doesn't feel like... I'll come talk, work. Stephen. I know nothing about soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come sit in the meeting. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. Well, appreciate you coming on today. I think I we're going to really wrap it up. I really appreciate you guys. This it was fun to fun. chat. Did you ask us anything? We what? sometimes ask people if they have any questions for yeah, us. Yeah, sometimes we forget. Sometimes oh, we do. What is the one thing that you would like to see for Spokane that's missing? That's missing. It's funny, this is similar to what Jordan Tampion asked us. Oh, really? I think Spokane, I think we need more buy-in from locals. I think quite often people reach a certain age and they're like, I can't wait to get away from here. Mm. Mm. But then you see the migration back and you see the migration from California, from Boise, from Portland, from Seattle, where we're affordable, we're cool, we're close to everything. I think the buy-in from the public is what I'd like to see more of. You know, I think we always focus on the negatives. Totally. You know, oh, people, you mentioned downtown and some people, and they go, oh, it's, it's a wasteland, homeless people everywhere. And I'm like, I, no, I walk not. to lunch and coffee three, four times a day. Mm-hmm. It's really not as bad as you think. Every now and again, you have to avoid something on the ground, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, Step is over. that human or not? Is that dog or human? You know? So, but I think buy in from the public in general, in terms of don't be part of the problem that you're just complaining if you have a solution share it if you you know if what, what was that I was listening to this morning and they said don't campaign against something campaign for, for something. something yeah right Simon Sinek talking about yeah. it oh, actually I love Simon Sinek yes. um, but he it's was, like, he's referenced about uh, you know, every podcast Martin Luther yeah. King <laughs> didn't go out and say that he hated racism he went out and he campaigned for rights there's a difference mm-hmm. you know and, and that's where I think buy-in from the public is more important than anything well, in a lot of these things. Criticism is just so much easier than action, right? Mm-hmm. So it's easier to criticize and point fingers than it is to take responsibility and try to do something. I love how you 
how you put that though. I really like it. Let's camping for things now. Yeah. Not against things. You know, you can you run for office. Don't campaign against Donald Trump. How about you put together your own campaign that focuses on the things that you would do differently? Because clearly campaigning against them doesn't work. <laughs> They'll just tweet something out at you. Yeah. What about you, Ben? Yeah. I, I was, I was going to say, what's kind of funny is like you think about 20 years ago, we didn't even have a downtown. Mm-hmm. At least n- none that was really recognizable until we had investment in their downtown mm-hmm. in the form of the Davenport, you know, River and then Park River Square. Park Square. Yeah. Really, and then... You know, with kind of over on Division Brown, we've really had some development, more local business owners than bigger money. So, I mean, if I think if we can keep on the trajectory that we're currently going on, we're going to have a pretty cool city in 10 years from now. I think so. But I also think it takes more young people stepping up and doing unique things like some of the people we've interviewed, right? But mm-hmm. then also some of, I think you and I talked about this, some of the old farts I think I called them at our coffee <laughs> getting out of the way <laughs> and allowing the young people to step up and do things that are different right because mm-hmm. we have so many of these older mm-hmm. usually white males sitting in coffee shops around downtown that are still dictating how the city is run because they have just I always I think I told you because they have just enough money and just enough power and ownership right to be able yeah. to do it just because you're 80 now and you like things like a 55 and over retirement community doesn't mean that's how the city should be run yeah. So it's like you need to realize that there's other people here that want things that you need to just like Kindle Yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kindle Yards was a great, I think, improvement for Spokane, too. And you see, it's like, man, how was that bank of the river not utilized before? Oh, I know. And it's and just, we just didn't have the demand. And giving people the confidence and the channels to have their voice heard. Yeah. You know, too, and to remind them this is what you can do, and it doesn't have to be the traditional way of doing it, but we have to do a better job of listening, too. Mm-hmm. I think the one other thing that I would say is I hear from every person that builds a building in Spokane. They're like, the stupid swales in the parking lot oh. that they make you take away every parking stall the city does to, to put the stupid water swale that catches the water in. And it's always the biggest issue. And the city never told me I was going to have to do that. <laughs> I've heard that maybe a few yeah, times. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sure you haven't heard that one before. <laughs> oh, this has been... Total delight. Thank you Thank for you. your time and for the invitation. Yeah, I'm glad, you, yeah. I'm glad you accepted. <laughs> we appreciate you. We also appreciate you guys if you're still listening, by the way. We've been gibbering for a while. <laughs> so um, like us, rate us, review us, share us with somebody if you think they want to hear this. And until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other.
right about now. Ooh,